Welcome to the Bradenville Church of Christ podcast. We are a family of believers striving to be the first century church in the 21st century. We're located at 285 Church Street in Bradenville, Missouri. Please join us for Bible study Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. with worship to follow at 11 a.m. Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. Now, please enjoy our lesson. Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. For more information about our church family, please visit our Bradleyville Church of Christ Facebook page. We hope to see you soon. Till then, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We hope you have a good day. We are people who like things written down. Uh, you go to a library and there are a multitude of books there, a lot of books. And that's because we like to record stuff. We like to read things and we like to have them written down. We are going to be working on, and I, I sent out an announcement of this today, and we're going to start taking pictures for a photo contact list. Sometimes we, uh, we want to get in touch with, with each other. And so we're going to write down our phone numbers and addresses so we can, and birthdays and anniversaries so we can send cards to each other. And part of that is going to be a picture that we're going to take of, of anybody who wants it taken today. If you don't feel like you want your picture taken today, we can take it next week. But we're taking pictures of members or visitors, anybody here who wants to be in our contact list, we're going to take pictures of you and we're going to put you in our contact list so that we can get in touch with each other. And so that you can get cards on your birthday if you, or anniversary or things like that. But the goal of that is so that we can grow closer together, that we can, can show our love for each other. Uh, whenever, whenever somebody's sick, we can call and check on each other, that we can minister to each other and do the things that a church would do. But that is, that's a, a form of putting together a book. And sometimes you'll see churches put together a church directory or something like that because we like to see stuff categorized and written down. So I'll ask you this question. What's your favorite book? If you could just pick one book, what would it be? Now, Don raised up the book that's probably, that, that is my favorite book, the Bible. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. But I want to I wanna challenge you to put another book on your top ten, and hopefully in your top two. We're going to talk today about another book. This is another book that's written by God. And it has some great impact on our life, and it has even greater impact on our future life. And so if you haven't looked at the back of your bulletin, I would encourage you to flip your bulletin over because today's lesson is going to be about the book of life. What is the book of life? What does it mean when we read about the book of life? And what does God use this book for? As I mentioned earlier, sometimes we put together uh, church directories and, and just about every congregation that I've been a part of, we've had a directory of some type. And one of the things I would challenge us to be careful about is the church directory is not God's book of life. Now, hopefully they ought to be closely aligned with each other. But what we're going to see today is that God is the one who's responsible for owning and maintaining his book of life. And he has a purpose for it. There is a purpose for that book in particular. And there's going to be a day when he's going to reveal to us the, the things that are written in that book. That's what I want us to wrestle with today, and I want us to come to understand and to appreciate, because we all love the Bible, or, or I don't think we would be here, but we all need to love the, the book of life as well, and, to, and to, to have our names written in that book. 
You know, the book of life is not a new concept. This goes way back in time. And so if you were to open up your Bibles all the way back to the book of Genesis, or excuse me, Exodus, way back in the beginning of, the, of man's history, in Exodus chapter 32, God talks about a book that he calls my book. And in, this is in Exodus 32. And if you look at verse 33... He says, And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now, notice there, who owns the book? That's God's book, right? God said, I have a book. I own it. I am the one who has responsibility over it. I'm the one who writes in it. And we'll learn here and we see from this passage, I'm the one that, do, that does other things in the book. But the first thing we need to notice is it's God's book of life because God owns it. God is the one that writes in it. He has not delegated that authority to you and I. He has done that for himself. You skip forward to Psalm, chapter the, the 69th Psalm, and we learn something else about God's book that he has. In Psalm 69, we're going we're gonna to see that it has reference to us as he writes in it. In Psalm 69... Turn one more page here. In verse 28, he says, Let them be blotted out of the book of the living, and let not be written with the righteous. And so the second thing we learn about this book is it has some characteristics of it. This is a book that has reference to those who are living. Now, there's a couple ways in which we live. The Bible speaks about mankind as living in reference to whether he's physically alive or not. But God in particular, when he talks about the living, he as much or more often speaks about the idea of somebody living spiritually. And we're going to see the importance of that as we get into the lesson. So, so far we've learned that God has a book, he owns it, and it's a book of the living. It's those who are, are in God's eyes viewed as being alive. Okay? Now let's go over to the last book of the New Test of the Old Testament. And Malachi is going to teach us something else about the book. We don't get to Malachi very often in our studies, do we? But it's the right at the tail end of the Old Testament. And uh, it's at the tail end of our Old Testament, and it's at the tail end of the writings of the Old Testament. This would have been the last prophet that would have been speaking. And so this would have been the last words uh, on, on the, from, the, from the mouth of God that the, the Jews would have heard before the coming of John, before John started preaching. And so these were important words for Israel to hear. And in Malachi chapter 3, in verse 16... God writes this, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and who meditate on his name. And so the, second, the third thing we learn about this book is it's a book of living and it's a book of remembrance. Right? Now let me ask you this question. Does God forget anything? No. So why does God write in a book? I would... I would I would um, put forward to you that he does it for our benefit. God is, God is writing this down for our benefit to help us understand that he is going to remember certain things. God has a book. It's a book of the living. And he wants us to know that when he writes it down, he's going to remember it. He's going to be accountable to it. 
And he's going to follow through with it at a certain point in time. He's going to use that book for a certain reason. So we've learned about that much about the, the book of life. But as you read through there, did you notice some other things about the, look, the book that we learned? Notice that it's a book that God writes in regarding those who fear Him, those who meditate on Him, those who are righteous, those who are living. And so when we begin to understand what this book is, it's a, it's a roll call of the faithful. God is taking a, he's, he's writing a book that has recorded in it the names and the remembrances of those who love Him, who honor Him and obey Him. I like that. Because you know what that means? That means God's thinking about us. He's thinking about me, if you want to make it personal. And I, in my journey through life, as I walk obedient to Him, as I walk in line with Him, that God's going God's to write my name down. How do you feel about that? How does it make you feel to know that God, if you're a faithful Christian, God has written your name down. But the other thing we learn in these passages is that God has the ability to strike names out. We don't do this much anymore. Susan's taking notes here and she's got her eraser on the end of her pencil. And that's the way we fix errors, right? Sometimes things are written and they need to be fixed. And so we just flip the, flip the uh, pencil over and we use the eraser to write out. But how, what happens when you write in pen? you gotta, you got to scratch it out. What? Huh? You can't erase it. You can't erase it. But what we learn about from God's book is that God can do something else. And the term is blot out. Anybody ever written with an old English, an old calligraphy pen? And you get those, sometimes you get big old blots of ink and you take a, you'd take a, a blotting pad and you'd, you'd dip it on there to soak up that ink so that it wouldn't stay there on the page. And sometimes they would do that over things that they didn't want read. You would put some ink over the top of it and cover it up. Or you might take a knife and scratch it off so that it couldn't be read anymore. But I want you to notice from these passages that God has a blotter and He can add names and He can take names out. Now, what does that mean? There's some significance to that, isn't there? That God has the ability to add and He has the ability to subtract. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we go into the lesson. But I, I want us just to see the basic characteristics of the book of life. It's a book that records the living. It's a book of remembrance. It's a book where God writes down names and it's a book where God can blot out names. But then we move into the New Testament. And the same theme of the book of life is portrayed to us. It's given to us by Jesus Himself and is talked about by His disciples. And in particular, we're going to get over to the book of Revelation and it's going to play a critical role in the story of the revelation of Jesus Christ. So let's begin in Luke chapter 10. And let's see what Jesus says about the book of life. <clears throat> Jesus is talking with His disciples in Luke chapter 10. And he has, the context here is, Jesus has appointed 70 disciples and he sent them out to preach 
and to teach. Look at verse 1. And after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also, and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. And so he gave them a commission. He says, I want you to go out and I want you to preach and I want you to prepare the people for my coming. Now, they do that. They go out and they preach and they come back. And verse 17 says, Then the seventy returned with, the, with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. How wonderful would that be to go out and do the work of the Lord and to see the results of it. That's what these men had seen. They had gone out. They had done the work of the Lord. They had been successful. And they come back and they report back to the Lord. And listen to what Jesus says to them. Verse 19. Verse 18, excuse me. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, he said, I've given you all this authority, I've given you all this power, but here's where your real joy should lie. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Don't rejoice in the fact that you have power, but rejoice in the fact that your names are written in heaven. All the things that we do in this life, they're important. They give us joy. To, it, it's, it's a joyful thing to be obedient to the Lord. Don't, don't get me wrong here. But Jesus makes the point. Don't let that be the, the climax of your joy. The climax of your joy is the fact that your name is written in heaven heaven. I would love to have been there with those disciples that had Jesus said that to me. But you know what? We can be there. We can, we can experience the same things ourselves. Skip forward to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians is a book of joy and rejoicing. And just as Jesus had told the disciples to rejoice because their names were written in heaven, Paul's going to give the, the Philippians some reasons to rejoice. And one of them is the fact that their names were written in the book of life. Notice what he says in Philippians chapter 4. This is what uh, Colton read for us this morning. By the way, he did a good job with these names. They're kind of tricky because we don't speak about Yodi and Syntyche very often. But these are two women in the church who were having a struggle. There was something going on. And this is probably the underlying theme throughout the whole book where Paul talks about being of one mind, being of one accord, that nothing be done through strife or vainglory. You, you, you hear this theme running through the book. And finally in chapter 4, he, he just kind of hits it head on. He says, I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche that they be of the same mind. Whatever's going on with you, with you two ladies, get over it. But just in case you can't get over it, he says, And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and notice what he says, And the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul's got some, some co-workers here that are working with him. He says their, their names are written in the book of life. Clement, your name is written in the book of life. True companion, probably Timothy he's talking about here, but the Bible's not clear. He says this true companion, your name's written in the book of life. But you know what gives me hope? Yodia and Syntyche, two women who are at odds with each other. Paul doesn't 
Paul doesn't put them in the category of their names not being written there. There's opportunity for us to have strife and to have struggles and to have difficulties in this life. And God's not got a hair trigger on his blotter. Their names are still written there. They just got a struggle that they're going through. Does that give you some hope? Because sometimes I think maybe we are harder on ourselves than God is. You know, we read about the fact that sin separates us from God. And, and, and sometimes I think we think that one little stumble and God's going to come in quick with the blotter. Bam, 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 Duffy, you're gone. That's not the way God operates. God is gracious and He's loving and He's kind and He's merciful and He's just. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to cleanse us from our sins to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 would say. But you back up a little bit, and John says this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. He says, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. What does that mean? That means that I can walk in the light, and I'm still going to stumble from time to time. But God doesn't have a hair trigger on his blotter. He's going to continue to allow us to remain in his book of life. Now there will be a time when God will, if we continue down a path of rebellion, we continue down a path of sin, we begin to walk in sin, God will have no choice but to blot our names out of the book. But God is very gracious and kind and loving because he wants our names written there. I love that. I love that. Do you love the book of life now? Are you excited about having your name written there? Let's keep on reading. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12 now. I'll just tell you, this is one of those passages that gets the hair on the back of my neck standing up. I love this passage because it paints for us a picture of what we are right now. We are the church. We are the Lamb's body. And He gives us a picture of what we are. And He gives it in in. He paints it in colors and hues that have reference back to the Old Testament. Listen to what he says in, in Hebrews chapter 12, down in verse 22. He says, But you have come to Mount Zion. Now this is in contrast to the old Mount Sinai that the Jews came to. The Israelites came to Mount Sinai and they were afraid because God demonstrated himself in lightning and smoke and in thunder and loud rumblings and blasts of the trumpet. And when they came to that mountain, they were afraid. Back up to verse 18. We'll just read this. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. This is a picture of that old Sinai that scared the Jews. Rather than coming to God in faith, they come to God in fear. But Paul's going to contrast that here in this writings. He's going to contrast that with the mountain that we've came, come to. He said, you have come to Mount Zion. I love that. I love, the, I love everything that Zion stands for. I love that fact that it is a, is a high pinnacle of protection. You come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to heavenly Jerusalem, 
to an innumerable company of angels. Listen how he just piles phrase on phrase here. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just, made, just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. The, all these blessings, all these wonderful words are describing what we are a part of right now. He said, you have come to that. But right in the middle of that, he talks about the church of the firstborn whose names are registered in heaven. Now, at the time he's writing this, this has some significance to these people because one of the things that name being registered has reference to is the idea of citizenship. Now, we don't think about that a lot in this country because we are all, I, I believe everybody here was born a citizen of the United States, and so we don't think about not being a citizen of this country. But citizenship had great privilege back in those times. If you were a citizen of Rome, you could do things and go places that most people couldn't do and go and so when you think about being a citizen with a name registered on the rolls, that was important. As Christians, as part of the body of Christ, we have a, a registration that the world has no part of. We have a citizenship which the world has no part of. We are part of a body that the world could be a part of if they want to obey, but they are not because they will not. What a great blessing it is to have our names registered in heaven. But the book of Revelation gives us the greatest pictures of the book of life. And we're going to hit these rather quickly to get to the last one. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus here, in speaking to the church, <clears throat> excuse me, Speaking to the church at Sardis, he says in verse 4, You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Now what do we learn from this passage? First of all, we're reminded of the fact that Jesus... Now, well, I guess the first thing we do learn is that Jesus now is the one who has the authority to write and to blot. But we also see that those whose names are written in the book have a confession that are going to be tied to them. Jesus says that I'm, going to, I'm not going to blot their names out of the book, but I am going to confess their names before the Father and His angels. I'm going to, conf I'm going to own them as my own. We go forward to Revelation 13. And in, in, in Revelation 13 and also in chapter 17, we learn about some people who were not obedient to the Father, not obedient to, to God, and they weren't obedient to Christ either. And in fact, in, in chapter 13, we see them worshiping the beast. And in verse 8, as John is recording this revelation, he says, and all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has ears, let him hear. 
And so we learn from this that there are people whose names will not be written in the book of life, namely those people who are of the world, people who are obedient to Satan, people who follow after Satan. We also learn that it is the Lamb's book. This is the book of life of the Lamb. Similar words are used over in Revelation chapter 17. And then we get to Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter of the, of the Bible, and we see here something else that the book of life is used in reference to. John here in wrapping up his writings, he gives a warning. He gives basically a kind of a, um, you might say an owner's manual for the book of Revelation. He says, here's how you use the book. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy in this book. If you want to use the book of Revelation, here's what you don't do. First off, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in the book. So don't add to the book. You want to keep from suffering the plagues that are written in the book, just don't add to it. But there's a, there's a, a warning to those who would take away. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things that are written in this book. And so the book of life then comes to bear on those who would want to take things out of the, the book of Revelation. So we start wrapping all this up, and, we, and what we see here is the book of life is God's book. God owns it. God has uh, the authority, and in, in particular, the Father has delegated to the Son the authority to write names in it and to blot names out. The writings in have to do with faithfulness and obedience to Jesus. The blottings out have to do with those people who are unfaithful, those people who choose not to obey Him or to become His disciple. What's the purpose of the book? Is, there, is it just simply so God can pull it out and read it when He doesn't have anything else to help Him go to sleep? What is the purpose of the book of life? In Revelation chapter 20, gives us the purpose. This is the reason why God has a book of remembrance. This is the reason why God has the book of the living. Revelation chapter 20, right at the end, we're going to see a picture of the judgment. The judgment day is that day in which all mankind, anybody who's ever drawn breath in this life, are going to stand before the throne of God. And we're going to give an account of our lives to God. Now you ask the question, how is He going to do that? I don't know. But one of the things I do know about God is time doesn't matter to God. God operates outside the bounds of time. And so however, however He is able to, to do this, however He is able to, to process everybody, that's up to Him. But one of the things we do know is we know for a fact that it will happen and I want you to see where the book of life comes into play. Revelation chapter 20, beginning of verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And so you've got these series of books that are opened up. There's a lot of debate that, about, around what those books could be. Um, but what we do know is those books were used for a reason. 
Notice what the verse continues on to say. He says, And the dead were judged according to the works by the things that were written in the books. Now that can either mean that everything that I've done has been written down in a book and I've given an account for it, or it's simply that, that the Bible essentially is laid open. The books, you know, the books of the Bible are laid open and my life is laid alongside them to compare. Both of those, I think, are valid explanations of what the books are for, but that's not what we're really after. We're after the book of life. Where does it fit into the whole picture? Because you've got all these books opened up and then you've got this book of life opened up and John says, The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. So there's no place that you're going to die that you're not going to get to be a part of the judgment. That's a good thing. I like that. There's some people that may not think that's a good thing, but it is. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Now if we stopped right there, that'd be one of the saddest stories in the whole book. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to be judged by my works, whether they're written down in the book somewhere or God's just simply recounting them to me. I don't like that. It doesn't make me feel good because I know there's things that I've done that have not been acceptable with God. But notice what verse 14 says. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's the purpose of the book of life. It's God's book of remembrance. It's God's book of the living. It's God's book of those who are going to be saved from the lake of fire in the judgment day. Now I ask you the question, do you like the book of life? Are you excited about the book of life? Is this a book that, that, that gets you interested in knowing more about it and making sure, first of all, that your name's written there? That our names are plugged in to that book? You move forward just a little bit into chapter 21. And in verse 7, Jesus says these words, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. And I missed the first where the reference to the book of life is in there. But we know that the book has been recorded to give us hope and encouragement and strength. As I said at the beginning, um, there are a lot of books that we can take pleasure in. There are a lot of books that we can enjoy in this life. But when it really comes down to it, there are certain books that we need to treasure above all others. The Bible is one of those books. And that's why we're working on our daily Bible reading. Do we treasure the Bible on a daily basis? Do we look forward to it? Are we craving it? The, the, the hunger and thirst of righteousness that comes from knowing God and wanting to be closer to Him. But do we also crave our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Are you excited about that? And more, most importantly today, is your name written there? 
Is your name recorded in that roll of remembrance, that book of the living that God will pull out on the day of judgment and that He will compare, contrast, He'll look through and say, yep, He's there. Yep, she's there. They're one of mine. I hope your name is there, but if you're concerned about that, let's take care of it today. We're going to sing an invitation song. It's going to be an opportunity for us to take an assessment and to think about, is my name written in the book of life? So how would we know? How would we know? Well, Jesus gives us some, some uh, commands to follow. He told His disciples, He says, Unless you believe that I am He, this is John chapter 8, verse 24, Unless that you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. And so the very first thing that we have to understand is that we have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. When he first came preaching, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Luke chapter 13, verse 3, as he's talking with uh, some people there who are asking him some questions about some people who had been killed, he said, they said were, they, were they worse sinners than everybody else because they died? And he said, No, but unless you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so we have to understand that we've got to turn away from sin. And we have to turn to God. You remember how Jesus told His disciples that He would confess their names before Father in heaven. That's repeated in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. He says, If you will confess Me before men, I will confess you before My Father who is in heaven. And then before He ascended into heaven, He told His disciples to go and preach the good news of His death, burial, and resurrection to all creatures. He says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Have you been baptized for the remission of your sins by the authority of Jesus? I want to encourage you to think about that today. That, that act of baptism is not an act of merit. It doesn't put God in debt to me, but what it is is an act of obedience because God said, I do. And in doing that, with, by faith, having repented and confessed, your name's written into the book. And then the next test, the next question is, am I walking in the light? Because remember, we, we noted in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. Do you like that? Are you walking in the light? If you're not, you can come back to Jesus today. He would love to have you back because verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you like to come back to Jesus today or would you like to become obedient to the gospel today? We can help you with that. We're going to sing an invitation song. If you have a need, please make it known. If you're not comfortable coming to the front, just let me know before you leave here today. But don't leave here today without your name being written in the book. Let's don't leave here with that being the case. If you have a need, please make it known as we stand and sing.